0: This is the first Sunday of Advent, and it's traditional to read this passage about John the Baptist, which comes to us from Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Arturia and Traconus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region about Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Well, it's three and a half weeks to Christmas. Some people, you know, really, really joyously anticipate Christmas and there are other people who endure it. Some delight in Christmas and others dread it. What's the difference between those two attitudes? I think it might have something to do with preparation. You see, to really celebrate Christmas, not just endure it, We need to prepare. Preparing for Christmas has nothing to do with shopping early, making lists, getting cards in the mail, decorating. It's something you do for yourself. We prepare for Christmas by asking questions like What do you want out of Christmas this year? Not what do you want for Christmas, what do you want out of Christmas, from Christmas? What do you want to have happen in your life and in the lives of others? The text, John says, prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready. Prepare. But what what is there in us as human beings that resist preparing? That instead of preparing, we prefer another P word, procrastinating. It's much more fun, isn't it? You know, I lived in, nine, in Miami nine years and I got to see this annual drama play out of preparation versus procrastination. June 1st is the beginning of hurricane season. It lasts till November 30th. That's half the year, not a season. And in the first of June, the newspaper always puts together an article how to be prepared for hurricane season. The things that you need to have stored away, the food, the water, the batteries, all that kind of stuff. and. And yet, uh, when the hurricanes start to come, it's, there's an interesting thing that happens. Now, hurricanes, I have to say this for them, they're very polite natural disasters, because they give you a lot of advance warning. You have four or five days ahead of time, there's a, out in the, in the Atlantic Ocean, there's a little thing on the news that's spinning like this, and they, they, they're calling it a tropical storm, it's not a hurricane yet, but it's a tropical storm, but it is heading right to your town. And, and, and they, they tell you that we can tell by the speed that it's going to get here on Thursday. So what happens on the night before the hurricane arrives? Down at the grocery store, thousands of people that are down there. Home Depot, they're all down there getting the stuff that they've known for months that they were going to need to have when the hurricane came. Now... I don't want to sound too self-righteous about this because, you know, last month when PG&E told us ahead of time that they were going to turn off the electricity, they gave us three or four days notice that you, you're maybe losing your electricity. It was going to, they, they said it was going to stop on Wednesday morning. So at the McNabb house, where was I on Tuesday night? I was down at Ace Hardware I realized that I didn't have any batteries for the flashlights. So I go down late in the afternoon on Tuesday to Ace Hardware. And what do I find? All of Piedmont is down there. They're all down there. Nobody, ha- And their batteries are all gone. The flashlights are gone. The little lanterns are gone. Everything's gone. Because we all waited to the last minute to get what we needed to do. It's important to understand that your preparation is something that only you can do. You can't really share it with other people i mean imagine this imagine that steve main and i decided that we are going to run a marathon together we're going to train together i know this is hard to imagine but uh, <laughs> but but we're gonna we're gonna to train together and we're, we start six months in advance and every day steve runs a little bit farther a little bit farther a little bit farther and then during the those six, same six months I sit on the couch and watch sports and eat potato chips. So when the day of the marathon comes and Steve and I line up together and we start, and along about the second mile, he's doing great and I am totally dying. The fact is, it doesn't matter how much Steve wants to help me, how much he cares about me, how much he loves me. The one thing he cannot share with me is his preparation. It's the only, something that only we can do for ourselves. So we have to, to celebrate Christmas, to get the most out of it, we need to begin our personal preparation. No one can do it for you. There are several barriers to being prepared for Christmas, I just want to mention to you. The first is the barrier of giving without receiving. We know that giving is important when it comes to Christmas. It's a time of giving gifts. But it's just as important to learn how to receive. To receive gifts, to be able to be a receiver, is very, very important. When I was a kid, I went to my dad one time and I said, Dad, you know that passage in the Bible where Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive? He said, I'm familiar with it, yes, uh uh-huh. I said, well, I have a list of things I would like to receive. And I'm strictly doing this because I want you to get the blessing. The blessing of being a giver in that way. I think he realized that I didn't quite have Jesus' spirit in my heart there. But some people just aren't very good receivers. You know, oh, don't get me anything. I don't want anything. No, 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 nothing for me. You know, that kind of a spirit. I don't want to receive anything from anybody. Will Willimon says that we prefer to think of ourselves as givers, powerful, competent, self-sufficient, capable people whose goodness motivates us to employ some of our power, competence, and gifts to benefit the less fortunate, which is a direct contradiction of the biblical account of the first Christmas. There we are portrayed not as the givers that we wish, but as the receivers that we really are. Luke and Matthew go to great lengths to demonstrate that we, with our power, generosity, and competence, had little to do with God's work in Jesus. God wanted to do something for us so strange, so utterly beyond the bounds of human imagination, so foreign to human projection, that God had to resort to angels, pregnant virgins, and stars in the sky to get it done. We didn't think of it, understand it, or approve it. All we could do at Bethlehem was receive it, A gift from a God that we hardly knew. The first barrier to Christmas is failing to learn how to receive. Another barrier is hiding too well. Fred Craddock loves to tell the story, I've told some of you, about when he was a kid growing up on a ranch in Oklahoma. A lot of brothers and sisters, a lot of cousins, and they'd all get together and play hide-and-seek. And he was the littlest So he was able to find some really good hiding places. One time he found a place underneath the steps of the porch, crawled all the way underneath there. Nobody could see him there at all. He's there, crouched down there. He's thinking, they'll never find me here. They'll never find me here. And all of a sudden, wait, they'll never find me here. So he puts a little hand out, stretches it out there, so that somebody will see him, he discovered that hide and seek is not fun if you never get found. It's hiding, seeking, and finding that's important in this game. I know some adults that hide too well. I've known people that have hidden too well. Something wrong in their life. Maybe they have a disease like cancer or something. And they don't want to share that. They don't want to burden other people. They don't want to talk about it too much. So they just sort of keep it to themselves. Keep it quiet. Don't want to complain. And then, when, and then people when they, at the funeral, everyone says how brave they were, how good they were to not complain. But secretly inside, some of the family are angry. Angry that that loved one did not trust their strength. Did not trust them enough to be able to hold with them their pain and their difficulty and their problem. Didn't give them enough chance to say goodbye. Adults too often hide too well without knowing the importance of being found. The other barrier to Christmas is the same one that they experienced the first Christmas. Mary and Joseph, no room in the inn. Sorry, no room, only it's not the inn, it's our calendar. There's no room in our calendar for the space for God to come in and be with us and to make Christmas a spiritual experience. There just isn't a place for God to come in and do that. The busyness takes over and busyness causes people to do crazy things. Clergy are no exception. Heard the story of a minister who parked his car in a red, no parking zone in a large city because he was short on time and he couldn't find a a, a real parking space with a meter. So he just parks in the red zone and he puts a note on the windshield that says, I've circled the block 10 times. If I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. And he signed it, forgive us our trespasses. When he returned, he found a citation from a police officer. Along with this note, I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. And he signed it, lead us not into temptation. (laughs) Thomas More has a book called On the Monk Who Dwells in Daily Life. He says this about life nowadays. Modern life is becoming so full that we need our own way of going into the desert to be relieved of our plenty. Our heads are crammed with information, our lives busy with activities and phone ringing and those kind of things. Our cities are stuffed with automobiles, our imaginations bloated on pictures and images, our relationships heavy with advice, our jobs burdened with endless new skills, our homes cluttered with gadgets and conveniences. We honor productivity to such an extent that an unproductive person often feels like a failure. It was interesting, just yesterday morning I was reading the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, and there was an article on the same exact thing. There's this woman, uh, and her name is Jenny O'Dell, and she lives in Oakland. She spent uh, Every day she would go to this place that I had never heard of called the Morcom Rose Garden in Oakland. And she would sit there and she would just do nothing. She would listen to the birds, just sort of be there, you know. And after doing that for a whole bunch of time, uh, she she developed a little talk that she gave that, that went viral, like a TED Talk kind of a thing. And then she wrote this book called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. By attention economy, she means all the ways that society tries to grab our attention through electronics and technology and tries to... almost uses our attention as a, as a type of currency. And she wrote this book on how to do nothing, and it sold like crazy. And she says, now I'm totally busy because of a book that I wrote about not being busy. <laughs> and and she's, she's trying to get people to understand... About, uh, with a new definition of the word, what does productivity really mean? Well, sometimes it's, we always think that we have to justify everything by showing our productivity. But the ability to do nothing, to have a space in your life, is something which will allow then God to come in and be with you on this journey, this particular journey toward Christmas. And then there are bridges. What are the bridges to Christmas? Christmas the things that keep us going there, that, can, that make us get there? Well, first, we have to understand that preparation has no shortcuts. You know the bicyclists that enter the Tour de France? They come from all over the world, different countries, but they don't practice in their own country. They, have, they go over to France, and they ride the exact route of the Tour de France. The only way that really prepare... To be in that race is to ride those roads. You don't just have to be in shape, you have to know the route. There's no shortcut to that sort of preparation to be in that part of the race. And then finally, the most important thing is to have your priorities in order. We have in this whole thing that we call Christmas, a whole bunch of stuff And some of the things are really important, and some of them aren't. And it's very easy to focus our attention and our priorities on the peripheral things. And forget that this is really about sharing God's love with your family and friends. Sharing the love of Christ with those relationships. That's what it's about. And all the decorations and the food and everything else is not the priority. So for us to really experience Christmas, we have to get our priorities right. We have to have a new perspective on what's important. I've told some of you the story about Glenn Adset, who was a missionary in China during the early days of the communist revolution there. He was under house arrest. They had taken the missionaries, kind of put them in like a house arrest type of situation, trying to decide what to do with them. And he was glad to hear that instead of going to jail, that his, he and his family, his wife and his two children, they were going to be deported back to the United States. They told him that he was to get ready for deportation, that they were allowed to take exactly 200 pounds of their possessions with them. Can you imagine if somebody said to you, everything that you own, just whittle it on down to 200 pounds? And everything else you lose, and that's what you keep. He said there was a little arguing in the family. He wanted to take his typewriter and some books. His wife had some Chinese vases that she wanted to take. The kids had their toys they wanted to take. But they worked it all out. They decided they weighed everything 200 pounds on the nose. The next day, when the army men came for them, they said, is everything ready? He said, yeah. Did you weigh everything? They said, yes, we did. They said, did you weigh the children? Did you weigh the kids? Glenn Adset said, in that moment, with that question, a totally new perspective came. All of a sudden, the typewriter, and the books, and the vases meant nothing they were worthless it's that kind of shift in perspective that we need to understand what christmas is about they they got a new perspective on what was really important may the lord do the same to us in this advent season john the baptist said prepare the way of the lord so may we prepare our hearts and our minds for the advent of the lord this christmas season Amen.